This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at MrsMyers.com. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Santa. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Ro Sampson Folk, the plucky upstart who went undrafted in the basketball feelings draft. My guest today, one of my favorites, is Katie Heindel, the commissioner and creator of the Basketball Feelings League, which takes its form as an incredibly unique and insightful newsletter. She's also a co-host on the Celebrated Dishes and Dimes podcast and a feature writer for Dime Up Rocks. Katie, how the heck are you? Oh, wait, but also uh basketball with sean woodley that's correct she does that too and you can go support their patron and uh the more people support it the more bonus episodes you get and they're quite good so yeah tune in katie how the heck are you <laughs> i'm good i'm good thanks for that buddy uh how are you doing oh i'm doing quite well i'm in i'm enjoying my time on this earth and mm-hmm. uh just trying to go one day at a time feels like it's been a lot of work lately but work is still fun i haven't reached the point where work is not fun so when mm-hmm. i do like a deep dive into a player or a game i feel like it's meaningful even though in the grand scheme of things it's not super meaningful i mean i'm just talking about basketball but yes to answer your question in a kind of sense yes i'm doing well but there's always a possibility that that could change you know yeah that's <laughs> true that's the life we're living right now I feel like it's good to be busy, just like on that busy note. uh, I'm also very busy. But one thing I've tried to get much better at that I was extremely bad about uh, when, I guess, the pandemic first started, my work never really slowed down because it was kind of my beat. Like like the basketball lurch really proved to be um, a good one for me. (laughs) Not the pandemic, folks. I'm not saying that. Uh, But... In being able to like still carve out time to like step away, I feel like the nature of like work, kind of like ours, you know, where you're just per- permanently 
either on call or you've got an idea or you're like generating your own schedule because you could write as much as you want. You could podcast as much or little, as little as you want. You, you tend to overdo it. And I was kind of burning out. And then I felt guilty for burning out because I was like, what am I really doing? You know, but you're actually doing a lot. Yeah, I took a large break because I felt like, well, I would have to be really intelligent to have intelligent things to say about what's happening in the world right now. So I'd rather just read intelligent people rather than like Nate Duncan became like the world's second leading expert on COVID-19 just so he could keep doing a basketball podcast, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. That wasn't for me particularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you didn't want to make that pivot. Yeah, I'd take a break. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't want to pivot into the umbrella of Anthony Fauci and whatever uh, falls under there. I thought I'd stay in the Blake Murphy blogging tree instead of going into medicine. I don't know about that decision now. I could have could have raised pretty high, I guess. Risen. Wow. English. Still time, so regardless, no? I, there's still time. Yeah. I'm young. Got the whole world ahead of me. There's there's plenty of things to do. But I did bring you here for reason, <laughs> Katie. Yes, it's true. We didn't just come to, to crack jokes. But the reason is we're gonna preview the Raptors and Playoffs. Raptors and Nets playoff series. Wow. Strong start. Regardless, <laughs> we <laughs> recorded <laughs> In March, and shortly before I was about to come to Toronto for work to come do games and practices and stuff like that, and presumably to hang out with Blake, Lewis, yourself, Joe Wolfond, the Raptors Republic gang, and uh, see all my friends, you and I had a podcast, and beforehand you said, oh, it's not so bad in Toronto, I'm sure it'll work. And then it took about <laughs> two days, and everything went absolutely nuts. But I'm going to zoom us even farther back. Our conversation last year, prior to the playoffs, I said I would rather the Raptors play the Nets, and you said you'd rather the Raptors play the Magic, citing the Nets kind of come out of nowhere and steal the sun on occasion. How do you feel about it this year? I, I feel better. I feel better. But I have to be honest, like, there's something, one, about first round matchups for the Raptors always there is regardless of the team and they also seem to I mean it's not to seem to I understand how seeding works but you know inevitably their place they get put with these like kind of outlier teams who've just like clinched the last couple spots uh and those are the teams that always seem to give them the most trouble so I feel good but I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be a more annoying series than uh, we're really ready for or would want. How often do you get sneaking suspicions about things, Katie? I'll tell you where my sneaking suspicions have landed expertly. We can call these like <laughs> gut. Okay. We can call these gut feelings. Fred Van Fleet, okay. in general. Uh, from basically starting with the team coming out from the D-League. I was at the game where he played his first minutes. I remember just, like, being obsessed with him. People were like, what are you talking about? He's just, like, another kind of no-name player. He's going to play for a couple of years. He'll get traded. Folks, look at him now. Um, Folks, look at him now. Folks. But, like, that's, I think, the one I really pat myself on the back for. And, uh, interestingly enough... One of the Nets' very own, Jared Allen, who today, in today's scrum, uh, as if you needed more proof, as if my proof wasn't enough, Kyle Lowry shouted him out. He was one of the first players that Lowry named on the Nets 
that he was kind of anticipating playing just in terms of like what he liked, what they were doing and like some of the more um, prominent players that they have. So I had a couple more, but then I blanked on them. So while we do this podcast, if I continue to think of my (laughs) gut feelings that have turned out correct, I'll just name them. Okay. And feel free to interject whenever, but you did mention Jared Allen and I have penciled here across my phone uh, very crude writing that says, Lowry is headed downhill. Jared Allen lies in wait. What does your heart say, Katie? Oh, wait, you wrote these words or these are from some, something else? I wrote these words. It's it's my genius transferred from my brain onto the page. That is my I like phone. It. I like it. It's ominous. So Lowry's tr- coming downhill. Uh, Lowry's coming in transition. This is what you're picturing, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm not happy about it. I don't think Larry would ever hesitate, uh, especially not with Jared Allen. I think Larry especially delights in, he's not a rookie anymore, but like kind of in younger players, getting their feet under them still and getting some notoriety. I think Larry really delights in uh, shaking them up a little bit. So I don't think Larry wavers. Um, and I don't think Jared Allen wavers either. So this is a collision that's bound to happen. And it's a collision that I'm not, looking forward to for my own heart's um, sake. So to to leap off of that then, how do you think the Raptors will do since they will have to go to or towards downhill a lot of times against Jared Allen continuously in this series? And Jared Allen is a good rim defender. Mm -hmm. He drops really low. The Nets, similar somewhat to the, the Bucks, they like to drop really low in defense, although they don't chase as well over the top. But the Raptors presumably will have to operate in that middle space. Guys like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, their shot chart might look a little bit different. What do you think about that going into this series, that little change? I think, I mean, I can't look at it that closely. I think um, on the defensive end, there's nothing in particular about Brooklyn that like freaks me out. Actually, I think it's more kind of their knack for shooting. Um, They're defensively not as good obviously as the Raptors I feel like they aren't very good at like collectively pressing on teams um they can get a little bit strung out themselves so it doesn't really worry me but I think there's gonna be like a frantic energy coming out of the team and I think I mean, the more I've actually thought about this since we've been talking the reason that the Raptors have such trouble with these last seed teams is because they're playing pretty much for their seasons, you know, like they're playing to really prove something. And I get that because the Raptors were there not that long ago. In some ways they're still there this season. Um, But yeah, like I I know like they don't have Durant. I know they're not going to have Kyrie, but like, and I know even like how much Karis LeVert's getting talked up. He's obviously a threat. But I think there's going to be something more about like the collective, the collective energy of the team. I think guys like Joe Harris and like Tyler Johnson are going to become these extremely activated, annoying players against the Raptors that the Raptors have a knack for kind of like Grayson Allen was like this with the Grizzlies, like in the in the not so distant past. It was Doug McDermott. Like there's guys who just seem to really flourish when they're playing the Raptors and like come alive. Agents of chaos. Yes, Absolute exactly. Agents of chaos. Exactly. Do you think that opens up a role for Rondé? Because he, Rondé is the agent of chaos. It is 
hell is unleashed when he has the ball and he's on the floor. <laughs> like every waking moment is like a minute of action. He's like the Tasmanian devil. Do you think he'll find a bigger spot in this series because of that? Like the transition aspect, the mm-hmm. having to keep up and rotate around this, you know, fervent rotating and chaotic Brooklyn team that's trying to get all these corner three points three-point shots off as we've seen like in the bubble they really like to load up from downtown mm-hmm. what do you think is there is a guy like matt thomas or ronda Hollis jefferson what do you think the back end of the rotation looks like for this series i mean i'm kind of wary with ronda just because we haven't seen him producing the way that we've known him to especially i'd say in the earlier half of the season like in the fall uh kind of mostly in the fall through like early january which like isn't super worrying in that I think he'll definitely bounce back, but I don't know that he'll be. I actually kind of see OG, um, yeah, Matt Thomas to a degree, um, probably someone Fred like Fred just because of like his steadiness being more not agents of chaos. Though OG can be like a sneaky agent of chaos. We need to give him more agents of for that. control. Uh huh. Agents of like immaculate <laughs> control. Um, and if Rondé wants to like wheel around out there just to like throw a wrench in things, that's fine. But one thing I do want to know, and I think we saw this the most in like that Celtics matchup that we shall not talk about too long. <laughs> but you know, it was like this half court like transitional thing that the Raptors were really getting stuck on. And I think, especially with a team like Brooklyn, that's like really quick kind of unhinged at times but like when the raptors make a quick transition and you've got someone like fred like all alone out on the wing someone like pascal all alone out on the wing just because they got there what we were seeing a lot in that celtics game was they would stop and like wait for the dudes to get set up and i didn't i mean i i love i love that like ball movement and like communication is so ingrained into this team that something like that is second nature but you kill your own momentum with that and i think like momentum is something that's going to become so prevalent and like very very important with this with this uh series no i think that's a good point to make is that the nets won't won't slow down the raptors in the way that the celtics did and also Mm -hmm. i think a very good point to make that against the against the celtics they got stuck in the half court a lot of their actions staying above the break not able to get downhill and so if they did have transition options it makes sense to go towards the rim usually fred is really good at pushing towards the rim usually pascal's really good at pushing towards the rim but that celtics game seeming like an anomaly in that they just didn't go there at all and they just mm-hmm. stayed in purgatory of half court so definitely i get that and i totally understand where you're coming from when you say the nets they they like to play fast they like to be quick and that kind of does play into the raptors hands because the Raptors have this blend of being able to slow teams down on defense, but still pick right back up again offensively. And I think a lot of that has to do with outlet passes from Gasol, his ability to box out and clear space for Lowry to pick up rebounds, Fred to pick up rebounds to get the the offense going quicker, and Gasol as far as offense adds a layer of versatility. So I have a quote here. Standing with the refrigerator door open and plucking Spanish olives out of the cremant... Full small pla- crammed, full small plastic container. The woman behind the Italian grocery store's antipasto counter packed for me. The specific balance of salt and fat, brine and richness. Thinking how these came ahead of every meal in Spain. That's from your basketball feelings newsletter this morning. Mm-hmm. Do you think the balance in food in Spain <laughs> is partially responsible for Gasol's extremely balanced floor game? 
Like it was intrinsic that he learned to be balanced because of his eating habits growing up. I mean, I thought of him when I was writing that, of course, because he also had a section that came right after that section, of course. Um, yeah, I feel like the tapas kind of lifestyle in Spain, which was like a delightful way to really eat a lot, but never feel full or like stuffed, you know, you know, we've, we've made jokes in the past. I think you and I have that Gasol can look sometimes in the past. He could look like he was always full of paella or just full (laughs) plain. And Gasol has like, uh, I think he's come out of that. Not just because we saw skinny Mark. I don't want to fixate on his body too much, but he's just like, he's gained such resiliency and like a lot. It's weird to say he's gotten stronger because he was always so strong, but yeah, he's kind of like this new fixed point for the team. And I feel like he is also still has that kind of like sweet sleepiness that I think of when I think of a Spanish siesta, uh, eating a, a meal, sleeping it off, sleeping through the hottest part of the day, waking up, being fresh and ready for the I mean, for there, the nighttime, but, you know, like the main event, in Gasol's case, a matchup. So, yeah, I feel like he, he through his um, gesticular <laughs> balance, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's gained some of that balance. I think you, you get to see the brininess, the kind of pluckiness, the full and, like, ripeness of his play. He's just, like... He's just become this all-around, like, steadying, really dominant force. And he's also so smart. I think that's something that really gets discounted a lot, especially when you talk about centers and just, like, you know, they do get kind of chalked up to size, right? And that's being, like, a huge reason for the things that they can execute and do on the floor. But Excel is extremely intelligent. And one of the things I love the most is, like, how whenever he moves – it seems as if he's kind of moving in slow motion. In that same newsletter, I have a part where I talk about how he's kind of wading through low, like tide water. You know, like he's when he's kind of pushing through guys, he doesn't, no one ever really slows him down enough. And he always is looking at where he wants to go and he'll just inevitably get there, but he gets there on his own time. It seems super slow motion, but it's actually incredibly fast. Yeah, he moves with purpose mm-hmm. and every step seems like it's the right step to take. But also, that's that's the when you're looking at his intelligence, his ability to make reads both offensively and defensively has added so much versatility to the Raptors on both ends of the floor. And as far as him being the mirror image of a Spaniard's or the Spanish food culture, <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that as well. But also, you know, he looked strong before, but now I think he could even beat my dad in an arm wrestle. So <laughs> I think <laughs> he's been very impressive so far. What do you think about Serge, who has other, who has ties to Spain yes, as well? What yes. do you think about him in this series? Uh, I like just like I liked what I've seen so far from Serge. I think they've been pretty smart and like choosy about when what games he'll play and how much time. I think he's for the most part made the most out of those. Uh, I'd like to see him in this, but I do worry. This might be a good test to see, like especially with this team, this kind of hectic, chaotic, like primarily younger team. That can sometimes frustrate Serge, uh, like we've seen that in the past. But this could be a good test of his patience. Yeah, I think it's interesting for this series is that Serge typically isn't used as a focal point of the offense. Usually it just comes as a byproduct of 
whatever pick and rolls he's running with Lowry. Mm-hmm. But they might go big at times because we know they, they do like to save those looks for the playoffs and they like to flash them every once in a while. And Serge, especially against the Nets who drop really low defensively, he is a very, very accomplished mid-range maestro, as it were. And so if they want to use him as a release valve in that kind of, you know, in that kind of space, he could be super valuable there. We see that happening against the Bucks a lot of the times. Like Serge will take Unless he's really on a heater, he's taking less than 10 shots in the game usually, and he'll go like four for seven or five for nine or something like that, which is mm-hmm. great. But then against the Bucks, you'll see he put up 17 shots and like eight triples just because they drop so low and the Raptors need somebody to space the floor on those actions. So I think there's potential for him to come in and score quite a bit, sorry, score quite a bit against the Nets. But I mean, it's all up in the air because he was a little bit up and down in the bubble. But I mean, for the most part, if we're thinking about Raptors players, he has been the model of consistency. I don't know if anybody, maybe OG this year, but let's maybe let's move to OG then. What do you <laughs> think about him? Because he did flash more offensive chops, more off the dribble chops. Ironically, after I had that big piece I wrote about him, where I watched every single offensive possession he had on the year, and then suddenly kind of had to throw it all away because he started doing dribble moves regularly <laughs> that he just would never ever do. And he started crossing dudes up, taking him off the dribble. What do you think about him going into the series against a team that, like you said, doesn't do anything very special defensively? Is there potential for OG to kind of take a step towards maybe not offensive stardom, but just a meaningful step? I mean, I think in in, in a game like this, you can. It's a good opportunity to see OG move toward more like a five position, which I think the team has also said like nurse has said a couple times like he is you know like that he's like big and strong enough that he could be and i'm not saying he'll actually play in that position but just in terms of like from a defensive standpoint um and just like how he'll be able to get in the way that he's been shooting is this kind of like stealthy i think like this kind of stealthy sneaky presence which i've really loved to see and i think the raptors kind of lack because you know they've got everybody's just like incredibly persistent dogged like very annoying at times um but like that's sort of the Raptors' style of play and og has kind of stepped a little bit out of that in the bubble which has been really enjoyable because he's been able to fluster you know some superstars like lebron in that lakers game uh like AD a little bit i think he'll be most useful against teams like that where he's kind of he's kind of got his choice of like i guess their biggest and most impactful player in this matchup, I think he'll just be a really solid, a really solid, solid set of hands like around the rim, and also I think he can practice some of his outside shooting, like you know, just like being that sort of presence out on the wing. Um, but it's like good because he the whole thing with him is I think what they're trying to do is explore his versatility. Um, you know, if we are moving towards like a league that's quote positionless as much as that's possible, like you've got guys like Pascal. Now you've got guys like Goji Boucher even to a degree, right? Where you're trying to kind of flex them and move them around and like see what's possible and not have anybody get too stuck in one role. So I think this could be good for him. Yeah, I agree. And especially to your point about them being more malleable and the Raptors kind of asking that of a bunch of different players. Like traditionally Pascal is the power forward and OG is mm-hmm. the small forward. And I think a lot of people look at it that way, but as far as their, their play style rather than their body types or height, I should say, you know, nominally they are that, but when you look at how they actually play in the roles they play in the offense, 
OG is much closer to a traditional power forward, and Pascal, as far as his creation, is a lot closer to one of your swingmen that you look at. Like he's closer to Kevin Durant than he is to David West type of thing. And OG Ananobi, while not David West, certainly isn't a Kevin Durant type player. So it's interesting to see how they kind of move through these things. And like you said, Chris Boucher is also included in that. But when mm-hmm. we think about the Nets and what they like to do, is there anything as far as like the Karis LeVert of it all, who is also kind of synonymous with a bigger player who can now dribble and be slinky and do a whole bunch of different things? Does he scare you at all? Is there a matchup on the Nets that gives you any pause? Or do you think the Raptors are well-equipped for pretty much anything? I think they're well-equipped. I mean... Like, I like the Nets. I have to get that out out there. (laughs) And this matchup's going to be really frustrating for me to watch. I mean, I like pieces, I would say. I don't necessarily, like, I'm not, like, an organizational freak about them. But I think Karis LeVert is going to be, like, he's a good player. Like, he's a good all-around player. And, like, he's there. He's, like, really hot right now. They know it. And they're going to put him in positions where he's, going to succeed so i mean i the raptors obviously know that going into this and they'll look at ways to kind of frustrate and shut them down as much as they can i think like i'm not really worried at all about them defensively the only place i i do think i would not want to see them stutter is on their offensive energy and the ability to like be very generative about that offensive energy um and like hence what i had said earlier just about you know if you've got a quick transition, just go with it. Like, flow through it. You don't have to, like, stop and set up. There are sometimes when it's okay to play fast. Uh, like, maybe a little fast and loose, but just play fast, especially to match the pace of this team. Because I think with the Nets, it's going to be, like, not outpacing them, um, but really outlasting them. Because this is a team that doesn't have much... This specific roster doesn't have that much playoff experience. Uh, and I think they will tire and kind of frustrate a little more easily. Um, I don't have the same faith in their coaching staff as I do the Raptors. I think they've shown this past season that they can be very creative when they need to be with like very strange matchups. So there's a lot that they can potentially throw at them. I mean, even like I like DeAndre Jordan as a player, um, but him like that matchup doesn't really worry me. If you're you're going to get into like a battle of the bigs again, just because of what we talked about, like the Raptors having so many extra pairs of hands that can get in and like help out with players that aren't necessarily traditional bigs, you know, but they've got the, they've got the length, they've got like the strength to be there. Um, Again, I think it's just going to come down to these like annoying shooters like Joe Harris, Tyler Johnson, Karis LeVert and figuring out ways to like, I don't even know. It's not like you want to push them farther out. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just yeah. It's it remains to be seen, but no, like I guess I just still have this like on paper I'm look like I know I get it. There isn't there isn't a matchup that kind of scares me when you look at this like player to player. I feel like the Raptors like are well ahead of the Nets, but there's just something about how frustrating the the Nets can be. But I think the Raptors need to like take seriously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think you'd hear that sentiment from Nick Nurse and co. as well. But, Katie, one of my favorite things about reading your stuff and talking to you on podcasts is your ability to pull and tease meaning out of things that I didn't see before. And so I'm going to posit something that I know is somewhat meaningful, and I'm going to ask your brain to try and tell me what it thinks of it. Uh-huh. The Raptors, this <laughs> this version of them... 
I'm just going to say the Kyle Lowry Raptors basically got their start against the Brooklyn Nets. What do you think about like this being a bookend, if it is, or just fitting in nicely that they've won the championship, and after they win the championship, their first round is against the Brooklyn Nets? What does that say to you? Is that is that synergy in the universe or something? Yeah, are you kidding? It's like the final exorcism. Like, that's kind of the way I look at this series, honestly. Even though, like, how many of the people, well, none of the pieces in Brooklyn are the same, but, like, for Lowry, like, that is still one of the most traumatizing. It is probably, for me, the most traumatizing loss in Raptors playoff history, the black shot, Lowry crumpling to the floor. Like, we've talked about this before. I definitely have written about this a lot because I keep trying to continually exercise it out of my mind and I can't yet. <laughs> so this means a lot for that. This is, like, a very good full circle moment that, like, some people may look at it as a meaningless matchup, but it's not. Like, basketball at this level can be so much about those, like, intangible things. Um, and for someone like Larry, who, you know, if you want to look at it in an even more, like, drilled-down level, like, that year, he's kind of, like, you know, back up to DeRozan, right? Like, the way that they played and the way that they kind of were friends. He would really hype DeRozan up, but DeRozan was sort of the quiet leadership presence. And then, you know, we saw him go and we saw him cycle through how he kind of backed up Kawhi. And now, as you said, I think it's really apt. Like, we should call this, like, Kyle Lowry, Raptors. You know, like, this is this is his time. Like, this is his team. Like, he's worked extremely hard to get here. He suffered brutal, <laughs> brutal defeats, like, haunting defeats. And I think for him, I mean, he would tell you. He'd be like, it's just like a game like any other game, you know? Like, today, I think he said it's not about defending the champ- the title. It's, like, about fighting for it again. And I like that he's going into it like that. But there is definitely something that's going to come from putting this team to bed, like putting all that behind him. Yeah, he's certainly Kyle Lowry, as far as a lot of players is very good at keeping perspective. There's that sentiment that he's like the smartest guy in the room all mm-hmm. the time. And he does like that. It oozes off of him. There's an effervescence to his intelligence. You can, it's palpable. You can feel it. And anytime he speaks on something, usually it's, it's worthwhile and potent. And that, that comment about fighting for the championship instead of defending it, I think, sticks there too, especially with this this roster construction. But uh, I'll swing it. I feel like we've covered most of the bases for the Nets stuff because, you know, as as you said, on paper, there is a an inequity or an inequality of talent, I think. And just because the, the Nets are missing so many players, we're looking at, you know, a team that does not have much of a chance against the Raptors. And if they do beat the Raptors, I think we're looking at an unparalleled variance in three-point percentage or something like that, like a Mm -hmm. March Madness type of performance, (laughs) except not one game, but over seven. So, you know, there's always a possibility, but I'm going to steer us towards something that I think you enjoy much more. And so Jimmy Butler in the bubble has started a coffee shop. (laughs) <laughs> what what are you, what's your opinion on the Jimmy Butler coffee shop? What's your thoughts there? It makes me so happy. Oh my god. Also the fact that like the whole that whole like morsel of information was teased out uh with an interview with Rachel Nichols when he was like she's like, you know, talk to him just about his relationships in the bubble and basically like who he's seen and essentially does he have any friends? And he said he doesn't. He doesn't need any friends. Though I think for Dim- for Jimmy 
He's like one of those people who lives and breathes his work so deeply that like he's like, you know, my coworkers aren't friends, they're family. But that aside, um, when he was just like, yeah, I mean, I've been spending all my time working on my retirement plan and his retirement plan is a coffee shop is to make start making coffee. He's like brought his French press. He's brought his espresso. I assume he's brought like some type of espresso equipment. He's got like the full kit. Like, I don't know if you saw like people listening. There's a there's a menu, a menu that Jimmy wrote on a whiteboard <laughs> uh, that I posted on my Twitter. You can see the picture. He has a very extensive menu. You could get Cafe LA. You could get a cappuccino. He even has mocha on there. So he's got like, you know, he's doing half and half stuff. This isn't just like Americano or like a cup of like delicious French press coffee. Like he's got anything you could possibly want and smiley faces that he drew himself to boot uh so i'm very pleased that jimmy butler continues to just like be almost an even more intensified version of himself in the bubble i love it this was this was something i talked about with yasmin and mm-hmm. she wrote about the nba being kind of like and god she's she's so brilliant but mm-hmm. she wrote about the nba being kind of like a a tv show and Jimmy Butler fits into that analogy so snug the way he's just carving out like this caricature of himself and how much he chooses to show like he's super likable. He has friends, but he likes to say he doesn't for whatever reason. But what do you think about a small coffee and a large coffee both being $20 indiscriminately? They, they Everything is 20 bucks. What do you think about that? Is that the way forward for business now? Also, I want to say Jimmy Butler one of his best friends is Kyle Lowry, which is to me, if you ever were like questionable about Jimmy Butler's character or his like, you know, how seriously likable he is, that's your proof. Lowry only associates with like, I think, very good people. Uh, anyway, I think Jimmy kind of ripped himself off there. I think he should have at least done 25 for the large, considering all the like joy and care he's putting into it. I mean, before, I just want to say too, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the mythology around cowboys and like the Wild West. Hell and yeah, dude. Jimmy is someone who like has grabbed onto this personification and just like run with it. I mean, he loves country music. He does wear cowboy boots, but he loves and kind of relishes in this like desperado iconography, like playing that the part of that kind of like especially in what he said about like he doesn't need friends like you know being kind of a loner being on his own kind of living by his own code in the bubble you know like he's a bad guy but he's got a heart of gold he's a vagabond he Mm -hmm. he goes through like he's walking through the desert saving people begrudgingly like he has this curmudgeonly type of affectation towards people but in his actions is always doing the right thing it's it's very, very endearing to me anyway, as somebody who, you know, this is something you and I share. We love the Desperado. We love the iconography and we love those those origin stories. And it's but I'll tell you what I do appreciate that it's small, medium and large for the life of me. <laughs> I cannot stand when companies, restaurants name it something different. Like I have to learn my brain has to occupy space like for Starbucks, for example. I have to be able to keep in my mind how your sizing system works because you didn't just want to name it small, medium, or large. And then, like, am I in on it then? Or is it just taking up space in my brain? I know this is very, very esoteric. Nobody cares about this. But for me, 
I like when people are just like, no, this is the universal size. But when people have their own sizes, it bugs me. I just think it should be universal. Any thoughts yeah. on that, Katie? I mean, I think you couldn't expect Jimmy Butler to really mess around with naming conventions in that case. Like he's what he's focused on is the quality of the product. You know, thus like he's very like you you would pay twenty dollars for a small cup of his coffee, like you would pay twenty dollars for a large cup of his coffee, because he's he's basing he's basing the prices on like how good he knows it to be. So no, I think like he's gonna be as straightforward as he can be in what in what he's calling it. Because you're just getting coffee. That's what you you just want coffee from him. You don't you want if you want more of it, that's kind of the size you're gonna get a larger one. If you just want a small one, just something to sip on, you'll just get that size. But the price stays the same. Because he knows his product. <laughs> That's the thing. It's it's maybe it's about what it requires of him, right? Basically, pouring a large coffee and pouring a small coffee is relatively the same for him. But the action itself—that's twenty dollars. What do you? What's the most expensive <laughs> cup of coffee you've ever had, Katie? Oh, probably in London. Just I'm not understanding the exchange rate at the time <laughs> because, like. If you're in London, England, and you're like, oh, I just want to, in America, I think I had Americano and like a croissant or something, you know, it's like, okay, that's going to be 11 pounds, like 12 pounds. That's like more than 20. Wow. That's like almost $30. <laughs> but that was just out of sheer stupidity. <laughs> and like, that's just what things cost there, you know? So that that was like unknowingly the most expensive coffee I've ever purchased. Uh also, the last thing I'll say on the coffee note, the best coffee I've ever had was in Miami. Uh, so I trust, I like, I trust what Jimmy's bringing into the bubble. Okay. I, I have a funny coffee story because I don't typically really like coffee. I'm not much for the, the very strong taste. But when I first met Blake Murphy and we went to a coffee shop to hang out and chat and he, he paid for my coffee because he's a mensch and he got me an Americano and I didn't want to seem, uh, I guess, emasculated, but I hate Americano. It's too strong for me. So I <laughs> I drank the whole coffee and it was terrible, but I pretended to like it because I wanted <laughs> to seem like, I want to seem manly in front of Blake the first time I met him. Now, yeah, I'm way too comfortable to do that. I wouldn't do that. But at first, I, it was something that I did. Very funny. I mean... That you can own it, it's fine. But I wish at the time you knew about like a cappuccino, you know, get yourself a cappuccino. Tone it down. Yeah. <laughs> and you still it's, look uh, very like classy and self assured ordering a cappuccino, I gotta say. Is that one of the what's the what's the most dignified thing to order and what's the least dignified in your book? Um, probably like a mocha is the least dignified because it's just like a baby's drink. It's like chocolate half hot chocolate half coffee so if you're gonna do that go all out and like get a fucking frappuccino like live a little you know like if you want the sweetness go crazy don't pretend you're in it for the coffee um most dignified probably like i don't do this because i like to you know have like a full cup of coffee but like a macchiato i feel like you know or like a bone dry cap something like that did yeah. you know that in well, Italy you can't order a cappuccino after like afternoon or even after like eleven? It's just like it's a morning drink. If you order it in the afternoon, it's just like it's 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 seen as like juvenile essentially. Oh. 
Yeah. I've never been to Italy, so I did not know that that was that was part of the course. Wow! I'll well, when I I will go to Italy sometime in my life, and when <laughs> I do, I'll make sure not to do that full pot. But to, get it in the morning. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to swing us back into basketball, though. Sure. Sure. <laughs> a quote, a quote that I've cherry picked from your piece with Stan Van Gundy, which was quite excellent, I might say, and I'm going to apply it to something that he wasn't talking about. It's a jumping off point. Okay. You certainly don't want to be behind the curve. You'd love to be ahead of it, but you certainly don't want to be behind it and have things happening on the floor that you're not prepared for. Do you think the rappers are re- like way ahead of the curve, and to what extent are they ahead of said curve? They are. I think they are. Again, I think I always go back to the really like accelerated learning period they had, like their own learning curve, essentially, um, with all the injuries they went through the season. Um, and needing to like deal with and handle those like on a game by game basis in some cases, you know, like how quickly guys were like falling off, recovering, spraying something else, getting hurt, like not being available. They really flew through rotations and they figured a lot of stuff out. It was kind of like a trial by fire. So I think they threw themselves well ahead of the curve in that sense. I think they've done that defensively. Like, you know, the Bucks obviously followed something that worked, like they followed suit in that strategy. I understand their rating is a little bit higher, but I would say they don't really execute it, in my opinion, as flawlessly as the Raptors have. I think that's due to practice. Again, like being ahead of the curve. There's little that they get flustered about now. Like I think something about that championship, and like mostly all of the guys have said this in some way, but like have acknowledged that it's true, that it's given them something else, but like the way that they kind of handle and carry themselves off court and on because of that championship win like that's kind of changed something in them they're just like a little bit this i think is more of like they're operating on a different plane but if you want to say that puts them out of the curve i think that's fair too i mean you're like yeah what van gundy meant in that i just feel like i'm doing a disservice if i don't (laughs) if i don't stand up for my guy but he was talking about we were talking about um, future proofing teams and whether or not that's possible, especially when you look at league trends that don't necessarily pan out, right? Or like what what people think is going to be hot and like, can you just like, how do you shape a team? How do you make a team competitive in the moment and like assure that competitiveness while also looking ahead for your plan for like the next few years? But I mean, ironically, I would say one of the teams that's always done a very good job of that is Toronto, whether that's because of like the forethought and like generally scope that Masai has when he looks at making those decisions and not being someone who kind of like bends for like a quick trend and like what seems like it's going to be important that year and that's what this Raptors team this year is like proof of you know you lost you lost a player that was supposed to be like the be all end all in Kawhi you lost Danny you've sort of stuck to what you knew worked for the team, like the ethos of the team. And by doing that, like by sticking to your guns in that sense and like staying true to that, while also improving on intangibles and just like the solid kind of foundation you'd already laid, you're you're future proving in a different way. So I'd say I'd say what Stan said is in both ways that we said that we were talking about it applicable to the Raptors. Yeah. Well, when we're thinking about, well, actually, I'll just swing us into this, the <laughs> bubble. I think very interesting thing that happened. Very, very intriguing. A lot of moving parts all the time. 
I think it's three tests now where they haven't had anybody sick mm-hmm. of the of the players and the personnel. I'm not sure about the numbers for like the workers and stuff and the staff and stuff like that. But I think as far as you know, you have to <laughs> Jesus this. You have to to look at this as a success. You kind of have to dehumanize the workers in your mind because you don't know what's happening with them. You don't know what's being asked of them, really. But what have you thought of the bubble so far? Like, what's impressed you and what, what has been lackluster in your mind? I mean, you could say it's a success. Like, it's a success of that sample, right? So it's a successful sample size of what we know is, like, a limited sample. So not including the workers that are feeding the team, cleaning their rooms, like, you know, doing all the kind of behind-the-scenes work to keep the park going and also to keep the bubble afloat, really. So that's the one thing that sort of has more consistently disappointed me is just, like, that the NBA has found it very easy and I think you know this isn't just on them this is on media this is just on the way that the whole thing's been framed and I think our like eagerness to consume and watch and talk about basketball again but that the NBA has found it pretty seamless to say like it's been a resounding success and to put all those other people sort of out of your mind I had kind of hoped they might step up in some capacity there um, just given the work that they did with COVID pre-bubble, you know, raising like almost a hundred million dollars for COVID relief in some cases where like governments failed, like whether that's like on the local, like municipal level or the federal level. Um, But aside from that, I mean, it has been successful. There was like a couple anomalies, you know, (laughs) like you're Lou Williams of the bubble, but that was sort of bound to happen. It happened once they kind of clamped down, but this was more on a franchise level of any of this like truther stuff, like this COVID kind of truther stuff. It really bummed me out. I will say that like Terrence Davis seemed to be one of those early on, just cause like it didn't really play with what I knew of him either. Like in the chances I've had to talk with him or what we've kind of seen of, of him, but you never know. It also like was a good reminder that like you just see a, a glimpse of these guys, right? Like you just see a, what, what they're going to show, what they're willing to show you. But I don't know. It's good. It's it's good. It's just like it's. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's fine to to watch it and be comfortable and like enjoy it uh, and get like really into the idea of the playoffs. But I also don't think it's wrong to recognize that it. You can have uncomfortable feelings at the same time. Like you don't need to be like I'm against this or I'm all for it. Like you can both of those conflicting feelings can, I think, hold space in your head at the same time. I think if anything, that's very important. Because you should remember that, like, this is these circumstances are unprecedented. It's safe because there's so much money behind it. It's safe because for this to fail, the NBA would stand to lose a ton of money just in broadcasting, like, in everything. So it's in their best interest for it to keep going. I think with stuff like what happened to Nurkic, like, you know, when this is what I said, I think, early on, like, worried me when we got to this point, like, a few weeks in more and more players were going to be affected because their families aren't in the bubble. So with the way that the disease, like, you know, this virus is still spreading rampantly, not just in the States, but like all around the world, it's a matter of time until they have friends or family that are affected or like, God forbid, like pass away from this, which is what we're seeing. So I think that is going to have more of a lasting effect and impression. And, you know, as we, especially as you get into a, a time as like intense as the, finals and like the playoffs before it where guys need to focus like that's something 
I don't even know how the NBA could guard against that, but that's something that they should absolutely keep in mind. Yeah, that's something that, well, specifically for me, this is something I touched on in the inaugural Minute Basketball post, but Mm -hmm. the reason why I left Mexico was to come back to Canada for a funeral and just how, like, awkward and difficult it is to plan stuff and accommodate for that kind of stuff with what the family's dealing with at times. And so the Nurkish thing you bring up and how that affects the players, definitely, like, the feeling of being stranded and away from all of that is... Yeah, super difficult. But I I do think that is, uh, before we get out of here, I'd like a prediction because predictions, that's where the money's at, Katie. Okay, we need predictions. We need hot takes. Do you have an idea of how the Raps versus Nets series is going to go? Do you have a, a number in mind of how many games it's going? Yeah, what I want, I have a couple. What I want is for the Raptors to sweep them. I don't think that's going to happen. I think... Especially I would want I want the Raptors to win game one because I don't know the last time if we've ever actually had that. Have they ever won a game one? I don't think they have. Uh, Washington, Washington. Washington okay. in 2017-18. But I can't think of another one. They just have yeah. the one. Like so they just the got the one. Round. Yes. So my ideal would be they lose that one and then they win the next four. But I have a bad, dumb feeling that it's going to be two for Brooklyn and then four for the Raptors. Whoa, <laughs> They're going to make six. it inordinately longer than it needs to be. I don't want it to be, but and I hope to be proved wrong on this point. Wow. Six games. That's more than I've seen from most people. Actually, I don't know if I've seen a six-game prediction, but I'm going to undercut you by one, and we'll go, I'll go five games. <laughs> But how do you see those playing out? Do you see them getting the first one and then the Raptors sweeping? Or what do you think? I think it would be funniest. Definitely the funniest way to go about it is if if the Raptors lose the first game. I actually, (laughs) not that I'm hoping for it, but I think that would be kind of hilarious. Because the Raptors, obviously, they have the mental fortitude that they can lose the first game of the playoffs to the seven seed and still go on to win the championship. It happened last year. So... I think that's kind of funny. Like, it would be super funny to see the reactions. And then three weeks later, everyone kind of forgot about it. But Mm -hmm. I think it'll probably be the first two games, you lose game three or game four, and then you lose game five back in in Toronto. But it it 100% would be funniest if they lost game one again. And especially if Kyle had zero points and was just kind of like a bit he did. It's like his version of Jimmy Butler's coffee. But it's points in game one. Not as like, yeah, not as hopeful or nice as Jimmy Butler's coffee. I just think like, I don't want it to be that much and it shouldn't take that much. But something that we've seen of the Raptors is like, they will go inordinately a lot longer than they have to in the postseason. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they certainly, I mean, a bunch of things can happen, especially given the current climate and where they're playing and that there's no fans, the depth Mm -hmm. perception of the rim against a team that just heaves from downtown all the time. So, I mean, who knows? Any Anything can happen early. But, Katie, the, the podcast is over and the floor is yours. You can tell the people what to read, <laughs> what to listen to, whatever you want. They're at your will. You've Ooh, got all the power now. Wonderful. Um, yeah, as you, as you kind of nicely 
put it off the top the basketball feelings feelings draft is and it's like later days it's we're we're on the i did the 22nd pick today uh there's still a couple guests on the board some some big big names that you probably like to read uh, and know online uh and then i've got to tackle a few more too so you could subscribe to basketball feelings on substack if you haven't already you can just read them for free if you're nervous to commit and then you can decide to subscribe uh, you could read, I think the last big thing I wrote for Dime was a really, really retrospective deep dive on Vince Carter and like how difficult it is to separate him as a player and a person who's valuable and like made bad decisions and maybe didn't necessarily have the career people anticipated uh, from like the myth and like myth making around him, but how fun it can be to sort of combine those two things anyway. Uh, and then keep your eyes peeled for a new feature on one of the Raptors' very own I won't say who it is, uh, for a place I've never written for yet that I'm very excited to to have something coming out with. I wonder if I should start guessing just to ruin it. Just mm, which publication. <laughs> okay. I'm, I mean, you well, cannot off air, but... <laughs> I'll just ask you off air. But right now, listener, the mystique, yeah, you're stuck with it. But Katie, thank you very much for coming on. I've enjoyed this immensely. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I'd love to talk about coffee for a really long time. Now I really want one. Yeah. <laughs> and pay for $30 coffee when you're in London, apparently. <laughs> no, never again. I'll never do that again. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> maybe maybe you'll be struck by something, you know? Maybe something will capture your eye and it'll be like, uh, I don't know, a very special coffee. A Maybe by the time that you could really we can enjoy. travel again, the economy will have crashed so much that you know coffee won't won't cost that much. <laughs> One can only hope. Could be, yeah, could be. <laughs> it's much cheaper. <laughs> All right, Katie. Um, just uh, addressing you, listener. The basketball feelings. I couldn't uh, co-sign it enough. Not that I'm a part of it, but as a reader. It's one of the most enjoyable things that I get to read once it hits my inbox. So uh, feel free to go subscribe to that because it's very, very good. But Katie, one more thank you for coming on. And as for you, listener, you're out of here. We're all finished, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, dollar for dollar with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Did you know you could shop around for prescription prices? With GoodRx, you can find free coupons at over 70,000 pharmacies and save up to 80%. It's that easy. But don't just take my word for it. Dr. Adam says, I've been telling all my patients about GoodRx. Jacqueline says, my medication was $65 without insurance, but I paid $25. Aubriana says, you don't have to pay full price to live your best life. Couldn't have said it better myself. GoodRx is 100% free. Download the GoodRx app today and start saving. GoodRx is not insurance.